pray with me, please? Lord, we're grateful for you, grateful that we believe and, and know that there is a God in heaven that loves us, a God in heaven that sent uh, his only son to die for us, Lord, that we can live uh, free from sin and with the hope of heaven. And so as we come here this morning, for those in this room that are believers and those that maybe aren't believers just yet, I pray, God, that this word would minister to all of our hearts, uh, that we would be encouraged that uh, uh, you know we're here this day and it's not by accident. We're here to, to hear your word, to worship you, and to consider what it means to walk with you and, and be a child of God. And so fill us all with the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Spirit's presence would be here and that uh, this word would just encourage us, Lord, in the days that we're living. We're so grateful and thankful for the Bible uh, that you give us your words, that we can hold on to these things until that day you bring us home. So bless this time and bless your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to talk about working with God. Uh, you know, as believers, as Christians, we have an opportunity to participate with God in what he's doing uh, in the world, in our lives, in our communities. And so working with God is this idea where we, we get to participate with the thing that's, things that God is doing. But what's the difference between working for God versus working with God? I believe there's a, a stark difference in those two things. Paul tells us, or tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's part of being a believer. And we may not feel persecution in the days that we live, in the country that we live, as, as many other believers do, but we certainly deal with it as believers. You know, there's a, there's a target on our chest. You know, the enemy does not like it that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so persecution is there. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. And I always underline that and circled in my Bible that we will. It's not an option. It's not you might. It's not from time to time. No, you're going to. And probably repeatedly. But Jesus goes on and says, be of good cheer. I've overcome. So yes, as believers, there are challenges, there are struggles, but there's also victories. And that's, if anything, what I take away from the Apostle Paul. He had so many things going on in his life that were difficult, so many things in his, his walk with the Lord that were a challenge, but he never focused in on those challenges. He never focused in on the circumstances or the situations that he found himself in because his eyes were always on the goal. His eyes were always on the prize. Of, of running his race well and, and just serving the Lord no matter where God had him. And that's the mentality we have to have as believers that no matter what you're going through, God is there. No matter what you're going through, God will get you through. And I know for many of us, there's been trials that lasted too long, quote unquote, too long. This Lord, Lord, when are you gonna get me through this? Lord, how are you gonna make this happen? It just seems like he delays, but you have to embrace and see God in the midst of those things because that's what we need to do. As believers, we don't work for God because you'll wear yourself out, but we get to work with God. And when we work with God, guess what we get? His strength, his abilities, his grace, and his power. And so that's the focus we must have. In fact, 
consider these words. I want you to think about this. It's Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not about doing. It's about being. It's, it's, being, it's being a believer. He goes on to say this. Many will say to me in that day, in the final day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These believers that Jesus is talking about said they did a lot for me, but they didn't know me. And that's what Jesus said in the final verse. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This verse tells every single one of us in this room that God cares more about your relationship with him than about what you do for him. And when you have a relationship with God, then when you do something for the Lord, it's a pleasure. It's a joy, even when it may be difficult. And so we have to have this mentality. Maybe we need to change change our mentality because I think some of us as believers want to do for the Lord so that we're in good standing with the Lord. And when God's saying, no, I want you to do what I'm doing. It's better for us to do what God is doing and participate in what he's trying to do in the world that we live in today than try to figure out how to get God to bless what we're doing because God always blesses what he's doing and he always equips those he calls to do it. There is a way to do things for God. And all of those things were good things, right? They prophesied in his name, they cast out demons in his name, and did many wonders in his name. Those were all good things. But what Jesus cared about most is their relationship, to be with him. He said, Jesus says, I never knew you. Being with God is means you know him, you know his character, and you know the way he works. If you do ministry for God, you're gonna continually get burnt out. But if you do ministry with God, you're gonna just see the power of God at work in your life. It's gonna be an amazing thing. So how do you know if you're doing ministry with God or for God? I'm gonna put a couple things up here in your minds. When you work for God, you expect accolades. You expect people to pat you on the back and say, oh, what a good job when you're working for God. When you're working with God, you expect nothing in return. Listen, we all want to hear those words. In fact, Pastor RJ prayed it this morning. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful. We want to hear those. But they may not come in this life. They might not come until the end. And so in this life, when we work with God, we expect nothing. When you work for God, you're sad when no one notices. When you work with God, you're fine when no one notices. When you work for God, you view others as a means to an end. You know, more people in my Bible study, more people knowing God, more people led to the Lord. That's, it's, a, it's a mindset of more people means success. Whereas when you're working with God, you view others as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you view people as brothers and sisters in Christ, what? You want the best for them. It changes your mentality. And then finally, when you work for God, your joy is based on performance, whereas when you work with God, you're happy with just being able to participate with God. That's what is so wonderful about being believers. We get to participate with the creator to accomplish his purposes 
What a true joy that is. And that's what the Apostle Paul sees and, and is focusing on as he's writing to the Corinthians here in this chapter. He wants them to understand what God's heart is for them. And later, we'll get to it next time, but you know, in, in verse six, uh, excuse me, verse 14, he says, don't be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. We'll get to that next time. It's so important because Paul is wanting the believers at Corinth not only to appreciate his ministry and his life, even though he went through struggles, but he also wants them to realize you need to participate with God. You need to do what God wants you to do. And I think that can be one of the greatest challenges in the heart and life of any believer. What does God want you to do? How does God want you to serve him? How does God want you to please him? Let me say this. Just being the mom, the dad, the child, the employee, just being faithful in those things, that might be what God's calling you to. I think sometimes we elevate doing things for God to mean we have to do something amazing for God in order for it to be truly something from the Lord. When he just wants you to be faithful. He just wants you to participate with him. Ministry, again, is not about performance for God, but participation with God. And so as we look at this chapter, you're gonna see Paul's focus was on the participation with God. So look with me at verse one. Paul says in chapter six, verse one, he says, when we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So just give me your attention on these two verses as Paul begins this letter, or begins this particular chapter, I should say, he he's kind of putting out there, it's important for you to be saved personally before you can help someone else come to know the Lord. And so he says, we then as workers together with him, see that? It's co-laboring with God. Last chapter he talked about being co-workers with God. Here he's saying it again, working together with him. Paul and his companions were serving God. They were working with God. And I think that's just an amazing thing to consider. When you think that God wants you to participate with him. Does God need you? Does God need Paul? You know, in, in some senses, no. God can do anything, right? He can get his message across without us. But in other senses, Paul, God says, I do need you because I need you to be my, my voice. I need you to be my hands, my feet. I need you to participate in this thing called life and let other people know that you have a relationship with me. So does he need us? No, he, God can do it. But he wants you to participate with him. That's the amazing thing, that he's asking us to participate. You signed up to participate with God when you gave your life to the Lord. And here's the great thing. It's not like a job that you punch in and punch out of. <laughs> it's not a burden. Serving God, working with God is truly a joy. It really is. It's not something that wears you out or shouldn't wear you out physically. But it should encourage you and strengthen you spiritually. 
You know, when we go to Haiti and serve the Lord there, we're serving that community, we're serving those kids, and do we work hard? Yes, at the end of the day, are we tired? Of course. But it's such a joy to do it. It's such a pleasure to participate. And so for those of us who have, quote unquote, done something with God, man, we get such joy from it. And and anytime you do anything for the Lord, there should be a sense of appreciation. There should be a sense of joy in your heart because you did it with the Lord. And it's not drawing attention to you, right? It's drawing attention to God. That's the beautiful thing about serving the Lord and working for God is because he gets the glory for it, not us. Did God use us? Did God work through us? Sure, but we point all the glory and all the praise to him and that's where it needs to stay. We have the privilege of work, and I just think about that. You have the privilege to work with God. Every day, you have an opportunity to take instruction from God Say, Lord, what do you want to do with me today? How do you want to participate? And I always have this picture whenever I think about helping God. (laughs) I always think about this dad who's out in his backyard cutting his lawn. And his little boy is there with a plastic lawnmower wanting to do what dad's doing. Is he cutting grass? No, he's probably getting in the way more than anything else. But the joy the child has to be able to do what God's do or do what dad's doing, to participate in what dad, he's not doing anything. He's probably making a job a little bit harder for the father. And that's probably how it is for us when we're serving God. God's going, you're not doing it the best best way you could or you're not doing it right or you're delaying the process, but I'm just glad we're doing it together. Because the greatest joy for that child is like, I'm with my dad. Didn't that change it when we think about working for God? I get to be with my heavenly father. It changes it from God telling me to go rake the leaves in the backyard. You know, when I was a a boy, my brother and I, it was just me and my brother, and we were the ones that shoveled the snow out of the driveway. We're the ones that raked the leaves out of the yard. We're the ones that did the chores. That's what kids are for, right? (laughs) And I can remember my brother hated doing manual labor. And it got to the point where I was like, Tim, do me a favor, go in the house. Because he just, it was so frustrating to listen to him complain. Aren't these leaves heavy? Why is this snow so heavy? You know, literally you had to shovel. (laughs) And it's just like, ugh. But to think with it, Montelli go, Tim, dad asked us to do this. God, dad wants us to participate. This isn't just slave labor. This is something that we can do for the Lord, for our dad. And to think about doing things for God in that context, I love it when God says, I could use your help. Yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to, how do you want me to help? Think about it in that context. Paul says, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Interestingly enough, uh, last study we saw uh, Paul say in chapter 5 that, that God was working pleading through Jesus to bring people to him and here Paul uses the same word that we are to get workers together with him also pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain so in a sense Paul and his companions were asking the Corinthians <laughs> don't take God's grace for granted 
Don't take God's grace for him. I wrote it down in here. In other words, don't waste God's grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? I know I am. <laughs> and you know what? I probably utilize it more than any of you guys because God's grace is so good and so needed, but we shouldn't waste God's grace. Uh, I, I heard the statistic. Did you know that when the Titanic sank, 40% of the lifeboats on the Titanic went unused? That was a waste of people's lives. And sometimes we can take advantage and waste God's grace. Wasting God's grace is unused grace that God wants to have upon your life. Don't take or, or, or receive the grace of God in vain. That's what the Apostle Paul says to the Church of Corinth and that's what he's telling us here this morning. Be thankful for the grace of God. Be thankful that it's always there for you. God wants to pour his grace upon all of us. And so he tells this church not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then he quotes scripture. For he says in verse two, in an acceptable time, I have heard you in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And Paul says, behold, now, circle that in your Bible, is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul here quotes uh, Isaiah 49 verse eight where God says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And what God is saying, there's a, an acceptable time for you to cry out to me. Guys, in this life, we only have so much time. There's only so much time for God's grace to be poured upon your life. And notice these two words, an acceptable time and an acceptable day. To me, time speaks of God giving everyone time to accept him. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about how many years I wasted before I came to the Lord. I, I just felt like that, there was time wasted. And we, we live in a society that is rejecting or refusing to come to God because they don't believe it's true, because they don't think God can be real, because they can't tangibly touch God. It's only in the life of a believer that we can feel and sense the presence of God. Do you realize that? Yes, God's always calling the unsaved to him, but it's once we accept him, that's when he dwells with us and that's when he becomes a part of us and that's when we can sense his prompting, his guidance, his protection, his instructions in our lives. That's what he wants. Paul's saying, now's the time, Corinthians. You may look at my life. That's what Paul is saying to this church. You might look at my life and look bad upon me because of the things that I'm going through, but you need to accept Christ more than you need to accept me. Paul wanted to get out of the way. Paul wanted to move aside, and this church needed to come and embrace God. In an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. There's a time that God gives out his grace, and that's the, that's the age that we're living in. And there's a day, there's a day when you, can be, when you can accept the Lord. Do you know the day you accepted the Lord? Can you mark the day on a calendar? I can. <laughs> I remember the moment I accepted God and I cried out to him and said, God, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. And th this verse came alive. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. He showed up, he helps those who cry out to him. See, there's a world full of people separated from God that need God's help. 
and we have the message of the gospel to share with them. A message of grace that doesn't get wasted, a message of love that can only come through a relationship with him. And I thought about this statistic. Every single day in the world, 151,600 people die every day. That's 6,316 people per hour. That means that about 10,000 people are gonna die during the time of this service. How many of them are dying apart from Christ? How many are going to see their creator, their maker, but have never accepted him? And that's that time, once that time happens, it's, it's too late. Now is the time. Today is the day. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't waste your life. Don't waste God's grace. Accept him. As believers, as Christians, we have the opportunity to tell people about the love of God in our lives so that they will accept. People that delay accepting the Lord, there's no guarantees, is there? Today could be your last day. Do you have a relationship with God? Have you invited him into your life? Do you have heaven assured? Paul's saying, now's the time. Corinthians, quit messing around. Now's the time to lead people to the Lord. And it's no different for us today. See, guys, there's a moment that's coming <laughs> when the trumpet sounds and we're done. And it's over. And we have no more time to lead anyone to Christ. So be mindful of those people in your life that don't know the Lord. Maybe they're family members, maybe they're coworkers or neighbors. We have an opportunity to tell them about Christ. Let's take those opportunities to its fullest. If we offend anyone, it should be with the, the love of Jesus Christ. That's the message. And that's what Paul says next. Look at verse three. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, <clears throat> excuse me, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, <clears throat> as having nothing and yet possessing all things. <clears throat> These verses here, Paul's basically given a resume. <laughs> I mean, you look at this and you think, wow, Apostle Paul, this is amazing. It's amazing what he had gone through. It's amazing what God had put him through. And yet he looks at his life and is able to list it for the Corinthians and for us and say, even though all of these things happened to me, all of these lists, we see how he endured. In a sense, it's a resume that the Apostle Paul is presenting to the Corinthians and to us this morning. Some of us in this room have gone through some of these trials and some of these struggles. 
and others, we can only look at the Apostle Paul and say, how did you do it? I think it's important to realize that Paul lists patience first. I know none of us likes to talk about patience. Anybody in here a really patient person? Besides me? <laughs> he pointed at me, that's hilarious. If God gave me anything, he definitely gave me patience. I'm one of those people that can still sit in a room and do nothing and be okay with that. Not everybody can do that, right? And my wife and I spend Saturdays together, I'm sitting on a couch and she's moving around the entire house doing things. That's how she relaxes. Like, well, I relax this way. Patience. Patience. Why is it in the church today we don't want to pray for patience? Because <laughs> you get tested. But I still say it's an important value to have. And Paul lists it first. Again, he says in verse three, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. What Paul is saying is, we are being true to you, Corinth. We, our lives are open. He goes on to that. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. We, we recommend ourselves. We're just ministering the things of God. And, and we give no offense. Anything. We're not here to offend. As believers... As I said, the world needs to hear the truth of the gospel. The gospel message in itself will be offensive to sin, period. But the way we present the gospel does not have to offend anyone. How many believers do you know that will not step in a church because someone in a church has offended them? Listen to this. The number one reason people become a Christian is about through another Christian. And the number one reason they don't become a Christian is because of another Christian. That's a sad statistic. But here's the reality. Our message is a message of life and if we present it properly, like the Apostle Paul and his heart here is to like, <laughs> we're, we're gonna see it. We're, our lives are open to you. We, we hold nothing back. We're being pure. We wanna give, we don't wanna offend you in every way. Why? Because we love you. So love is the earmark. Those that have been hurt by the church have walked away or have never come back. And if we offend, offend anyone, it should be offensive because we're being loving towards them. The, that, what is that saying? Kill them with kindness, right? Be kind to people. That's what people need. People are getting beat up every single day. They don't need to get beat up by Christians. There's been several people in my life that were so concerned about their spouse's salvation that they just, they drove them crazy with it. You need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved. And finally, I, I remember sitting, this was many years ago, I remember sitting with a couple, and I looked at the quote of who they thought there was an unbelieving spouse. I go, can I ask you a question? Do you believe Jesus died on a cross for your sins? Have you given your life to him? Yes and yes. I looked to the other, I go, leave her alone, she's saved. She believes in Jesus. It's like we come up with this, well, you gotta stand up and give your life to God. When I first got saved, I just received Christ through a Calvary Chapel Easter service. The, the altar call was given. Many people went down on the field. I stood in my chair and I just prayed the prayer and accepted Christ. And do you know for six months how much that quote unquote tormented me? I didn't go down. 
I didn't go forward. I, am I really saved? Right? It, because we put these traditions that this has to happen in order for you to save. One time I was at a Promise Keeper event. I'm like, I'm just going forward so I never have to think about this anymore. I'm like, I love Jesus. I know he died for my sin, but I just need to do this so I'll leave myself alone. <laughs> but how much do we do that to other people? You have to do this in order to be a, a Christian. You have to go here in order to be a Christian. No, you know what they need to do? They need to accept Christ. And we should lovingly be able to pre present that gospel to them. Again, like I said, the gospel is offensive to those that, that reject Christ. But once we accept, it's a beautiful thing. And so the world needs to hear and see genuine kindness from followers of Christ. If we're supposed to be re representing Jesus, we should do it lovingly, shouldn't we? He loves me. He died for me. And he's gracious to me. We should be the same. Paul lists all these things. And what I want to just point out, I'm not going to go through every one of these. I think you guys are mature enough to understand what kindness and suffering. But notice how he says in uh, verses uh, five, uh, no, excuse me, four, midway through four, uh, down to through verse five, all these in, in other words, in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, these things that Paul is listing here are the general struggles and the trials of life, okay? When we see these, again, tribulations, needs, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, as we read these things, we can certainly see in, uh, the life of the Apostle Paul when he was beaten, right, and left for dead, when he was imprisoned many, many times through tumults, that's troubles, labors, struggles, sleeplessness, fastings. Interestingly, labors, sleeplessness, and fastings are self-inflicted. See, there's some things here that just happened to the Apostle Paul because he was an apostle. There were things that happened to this because other people were doing things to the Apostle Paul. So we all have these things. But then there's things that we choose. Paul, listen, he says, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fastings. Fasting isn't something that just happens to you, does it? <laughs> no, you choose it. And Paul chose those things. And so there's gonna be those times in our lives where we understand that life is gonna be difficult. And in this life, it's not always gonna be easy. And that's why I love our church verse. Do I have it here? I do. Blake shared it on Wednesday night. I wanted to share it again. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is our church verse. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And here it is. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That word in. In everything, give thanks to God. I believe the Apostle Paul, as he's listing all of these troubles and difficulties in his life, because he went through them, because he was in them, I still think he was able to thank God for them. Because God showed up in the midst of it. In his imprisonments, what did he do? He led the the guards to the Lord. He led other prisoners to Jesus Christ. So in the midst of, yes, it was a difficult situation, but he gave God thanks because he used him in it. How many of us are thankful for what we're going through in, in this moment? What struggle are you dealing with? What difficulty are you having to go through? Are you giving God thanks in it? 
Because I think that a thankful and a grateful heart towards God helps us endure these struggles in a way that we can glorify God through them. Oh, we want to pray God get us through them, God protect us from them, but when we're in the midst of them, God, thank you that you're here with me. Have you ever said that to the Lord? God, thank you that you're here in the midst of this struggle because you, ta- you say you'll never leave me alone. And as long as there isn't blatant disobedience and sin in your life, God is right there with you. His heart's broken, just like yours is having to go through this. So give him thanks in the midst of it. All these, again, ins, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, Paul rose above them. He puts them out there as kind of a badge of honor. Like, Corinthians, you're being critical of me, but I've gone through all these things, and God has been with me in all these things, and I can praise them, praise him through those things. How did he get through them? Look at the next, look at verse six. By, here's all the buys now. There were a bunch of ins, now there's a bunch of buys. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, which is patience again, by the way. By kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. How did Paul get through all those ins? <laughs> by all the buys. And if you look, a lot of these are fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit that's produced in your life when you're walking in the Spirit. That's how Paul can look and give this resume and say, how did I get through all those troubles? Because God was with me. I held on to the word of God. How important it is for us to hold on to the word of God when you're going through something that is causing you stress and strain. Does the, does the word of God come to mind when you're going through something, when, when something happens in your life? Does prayer become something that is prominent in your life when you're struggling with something? That's how we get through them. That's how we get the buys in our lives. So look for those opportunities to thank God and see him in the midst of all these things. Again, purity, living a life that's pure. It's not only for pastors. I think all pastors should live lives of purity and holiness, but shouldn't that be for all believers? That we live pure lives, that we have pure thoughts, that we deal with the sin in our lives when it's knocking at our door? Don't delay Don't think it's okay. God's not doing anything. He must be okay with me sinning. No, he's not. Every time we sin, we put Jesus right back up on the cross. God wants us to live a life of purity. I don't have the statistic, but it's something like 35% of believers in church don't understand, only 35% of people in church understand what the word holy means. And they, they think that God expects them to live holy. That's 65% that don't think that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Purity. That's what God wants. Knowledge. That's not just wisdom. That's knowledge of God. Uh, again, long sufferings, patience, kindness. Be kind. By the Holy Spirit. All of those things were the things that the, the Apostle Paul held on to. Even look at verse eight, by honor and dishonor, even in the midst of those things. As he was being honored, as he was being dishonored. <laughs> That's what got him through. By evil report and good report, when people are saying bad things about him, 
Use it as an opportunity to trust in God. And then finally are the as-is. So he goes on in the middle of verse eight, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. These as's, if you will, are comparing. And I think it's a description of what the world sees in the Apostle Paul and what the world sees in the church and what God sees. Again, they're contrasts. Uh, you know, go back and forth. The, the world would probably accuse Paul of being a deceiver, but he knew in God it's true. See, what happens is we begin to believe the lies of the enemy as he speaks into your life saying, you're this, you're that. You're not really who you say you are. But from God's perspective, he sees you as holy, he sees you as righteous because of what Jesus has done. So these contrasts are the world's opinion of your life and God's opinion of your life. Which one's more important to you? God's opinion. So let the world think we're deceivers. Let the world think that we're dead when we know we're alive because we know the truth. The truth is what helps us get through this life. The truth of God's word. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul, in his contrast, is saying, listen, don't focus on the stuff that's going on here in this life. Don't focus on the things that you can see and touch and feel. Focus it on the things you can't see. Focus on the things you know to be true. Focus on the things you can't touch because those are spiritual things and those are the things that God's doing in your life. According to the things which are seen, the world's estimation was right about the Apostle Paul, but according to the things that were not seen, God's opinion of Paul is what mattered. That's the truth. We need to trust in God. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You're not perfect, you will fail. But again, God's grace is sufficient and he loves you and he's gonna work in your life. Finally, look at verse 11. He says, oh, Corinthians. <laughs> he says, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. In other words, they, they love them. This is Paul and his, his other ministers uh, to this church. We have spoken openly to you. They're an open book. Our heart is wide open to you. you. You are not restricted by us, which is what they're accusing Paul of doing, but you are restricted by your own affections. The problem with the church at Corinth is that they... Uh, we're being motivated or moved by the world. There were a lot of false teachers in that day and they were listening to the false teachers that were accusing the Apostle Paul of not being genuine. And he's saying, listen, we're, we're open book. We're gonna tell you the truth. We love you guys. And so our hearts are showing through. 
And again, that's something for all believers that our hearts need to show through. Paul lived what he preached when he said, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. First Corinthians was a letter that corrected that church. I would say strongly, harshly, if you want to say that. Because he wanted this church to, to live and, and honor God. But this letter, he's pleading with them, letting know his heart for them. When an unbeliever knows you care about them, they're gonna be open to hear your message. So just continue to nurture relationships with unbelievers. Paul says we're in the world, we're not of it, right? We don't conform to the world, we don't wanna look like the world, but that doesn't mean we come away from the world. We have to show people the love of God in a loving way. And that means focusing on the true message, showing people what God has done and doing in your life, that speaks volumes, and the fact that you care about them and aren't just trying to correct them, that's God's job. We just need to be willing to, to communicate and share. People today need to be spoken to openly. We don't wanna water down the truth, just making it palatable. There's too many churches and Christians that are just watering down the message. We don't need to do that. Let the message be the message. Openly speaking to them. They need to hear the hard truths. I mean, look at our world. Look at our society. They need the truth. (laughs) And when they embrace the truth, they'll begin to walk in that truth and things will change. As believers, as followers of Jesus, sharing and communicating the word of God, we are the ones with the truth that people need to hear. You know, we see it on TV. We see this sliding away from the truths that we know are written in the scriptures. And it it should, it should sicken us. But it's because believers are not out there putting out the real truth. Letting people know how God created this world, how he created them, man and woman. God did that. It's not something we did. God did it, and so we need to communicate that to to people, and we need to teach that to our kids. Uh, Verse 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. They were being drawn by the world. Paul is basically saying, stop blaming me for your problems. I'm teaching you and sharing the truth with you. It's because your involvement in the world that you're seeing the effects of your your relationship with God slipping. And that's what we have to understand. When Christians stop growing, they can't blame other people. If you're not growing in the Lord, it's not my responsibility to help you get back on track. (laughs) I'm here to teach the word of God. Again, it's in Ephesians chapter four. You know, he gives some apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers, what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Till we all come to the unity of faith. Till we embrace the truth of who Jesus is. Your walk with God is your responsibility. And we have got to get people in this generation to realize they're responsible for their own actions. Paul was not afraid to tell this church, it's your fault you're you're going through these things because you're not embracing the truth. And that's a hard pill to swallow because we're, 
live in a society where people want to just blame someone else for their situation. Take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Feeding you the word of God doesn't only happen on Sunday mornings. It should happen on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays as well. We have to grow. We have to get the word of God in us. And that's something we can only do in our own, in our own time, in our own way. The last verse. Now in return for the same, as he's saying we're open, you're restricted only by your own affections. Now in, the, in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Paul's saying soften your hearts, Corinthians. Embrace this truth. We're teaching you by example. Paul's talking to them like they're a bunch of children. He says, I've been honest with you. Now I need you to be honest with me. Truthful. We live and we walk so that people can see our example as believers. I think if we hold true to the truth of God's word, desiring to live like Paul talks about there in the, in the by section, verses six, seven, and, and eight, if we walk in purity and walk in holiness and kindness and gentleness, walking in the fruit of the spirit, we'll see people desiring that as well. When the church looks a lot like the world, we're in serious trouble. We're to be different. And we're gonna see that in the, in the, at the end of this chapter next time, we're gonna see that God's, we're to be separate, we're to come out of the world, not to be like the world, not to embrace the things of the world. We have to make the first move. Sometimes it's up to us. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling the church. You guys need to correct your own walk. Sometimes it's up to us. Sometimes it's up to us to make that first step. Maybe it's you that needs to reach out to someone that your relationship's been strained or there's something between you two. Maybe you need to take the first step and say, we need to talk this out. I'll never forget it. A dear friend of mine, I knew him early on in my walk. Oops, excuse me. He's a Calvary pastor now. And he was driving through Nashville. We, he stopped. He spent the night with us. And we went to breakfast and he said to me, he goes, I really feel like the Lord's put it on my heart to ask you for forgiveness. And I said, for what? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I just feel like the Lord's telling me to do that. And I said, well, luckily for you, I have a memory problem, so I don't remember if you did anything. So I'd say we just ignore that because there's nothing for you to be forgiven for. But he took this first step. He was obedient to what God told him to do and he just did it. He didn't know what it was either. But I think out of obedience, if we would listen to God's voice and do whatever it is he's telling us to do, who knows what'll happen? I mean, I respect the man for taking that, that step. And so sometimes I want us to think about, is there something we need to do? Is there something that we need to do first? Paul looks at the Corinthians and said, talking to you like children, I'm being open and honest to you. I'm just asking you to do the same. And now it was the responsibility of the Corinthians to take action. So when I talk about working with God, it's listening to him being obedient to what he tells us to do, letting him work through us because the only way someone's gonna come to know Christ is by the power of the Holy Spirit anyways. We just get to participate with God. So let God use you this week. 
Be open to the things that God wants to do in your life. And who knows? Maybe just someone watching your life will say, I want to be a Christian because they're walking the walk and they're being obedient. Don't be unevenly yoked is the next thing that Paul says. And he wants this church to be united evenly, evenly yoked, not being connected with unbelievers. And we'll get into that next time because I think it's such an important thing. Paul's looking for holiness and he's looking for us to do what God tells us to do. That's what the apostle Paul did and he wasn't ashamed about it. He even lists all the problems he had. You don't put on a resume all your mistakes, do you? <laughs> How are you gonna get a job if you do that? Paul had no problem. He said, you know what? These are all the things that I'm going through. Church, God wants to use you. Let him use you. Be reminded that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God, you can cry out to him and he'll be there to help you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Lord, even as we go through this long list of the Apostle Paul's resume, we can see where he had to go through a bunch of tough things. But Lord, he doesn't stay there. He doesn't focus in on the struggles. He doesn't focus in on the trials. He focuses in on the fact that you're there with him. That the Holy Spirit is available to him in his time of need. I pray that we would all realize that same fact. That you are here for us. That you love to work through us you love to work with us where you know we're not perfect and you know that too. And so God, we just pray as we leave this place that you would just remind us that we are your kids. We are your sons and your daughters. That we would in fact live our lives openly, honestly, purely because that's what the world needs. They need, they need people to be honest. They need people to be genuine, people of integrity, people that are not afraid to say they made a mistake, not afraid to say they're sorry. So Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that you would draw them ever closer to you, God, that you would speak into their circumstances and in their lives, that they would acknowledge you that you're in the midst of whatever they're going through and that you love them. May in everything we give thanks to a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, making a way for us to be reunited with the Father. So bless us, Lord. Bless this day. Bless all we have in store. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen.